0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. My name is Ned Jabbar. So let's open up with a prayer, please. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So let's say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who by the Holy Ghost was conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, raised, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead, he ascended unto heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. So we'll continue our Lenten meditation on The Sadness of Christ by St. Thomas More. This will be part six, episode 17 um, of The Informed Catholic. It'll be part six of the meditation of Thomas More, of Christ and episode, uh, 17 of the informed Catholic for season two of this year. So, uh, I'm going to read the scriptural passages of this, and then we'll do the, uh, we'll read the, the meditation readings of Thomas More. Now, uh, for this particular episode, uh, <laughs> In order not to, for it to get convoluted and kind of like confused, um, I kind of ran into a situation where I had to do a little bit of editing uh, on Thomas More's writings uh, in order to keep it simple and stick to the, the meditation parts uh, that would, in a sense, uh, make it simple for us to understand what's happening. I had to sort of like cut out some things from his um, – from his writings uh, that would have been too much for us. Um, So I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to keep the scriptural readings um, relatable to the meditation. So um, let's start with the scriptural passages. I'm going to read from the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter four, starting from verse 14, The first part will be going down to verse 16, and then I'm going to go from chapter 5, verse 1, all the way down to verse 9. So let's start with the first part, chapter 14, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we have, a, we, we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That was chapter 4, verse 14 to verse 16. Now, chapter 5, from verse 1 all the way down to, I'm sorry, verse 10. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness because of this he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people and one does not take the honor upon himself but he is called by god just as aaron was so also christ did not exalt, exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said to him you are my son today i have begotten you as he also as he also in another place you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek in the days of his flesh jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death and he was heard For his godly fear, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So now I'm going to read from Mark chapter 14. I'm going to start from verse 32. We've pretty much heard this in uh, this, this particular gospel in the meditations because Thomas More keeps re- re- going back to this and he's focusing on the Gethsemane scene right now. So let's start with Mark chapter 14, starting from verse 32 all the way down to verse 42. And they went to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he said, Abba, for all things are possible to you. Remove this chalice from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so now we will read from The Sadness of Christ by St. Thomas More. Some may wonder how it could be that our Savior could feel sadness, sorrow, and grief, since He was truly God, equal to His all-powerful Father. Certainly He could not have felt them if He had been God as He was, in such a way as not to be man also. But, as a matter of fact, since He was no less really a man, then he was really God. I see no reason for us to be surprised that, in so far as he was man, he had the ordinary feelings of mankind, though certainly no blameworthy ones, no more than we could be surprised that, in so far, he was God. He performed stupendous miracles. For if we are surprised that Christ felt fear, weariness, and grief simply on the grounds that he was God. Why should we not be surprised that he experienced hunger, thirst, and sleep, seeing that he was none the less divine for doing these things? But here perhaps you may object. I am no longer surprised at his capacity for these emotions, but I cannot help being surprised at his desire to experience them. For he taught his disciples not to be afraid of those who can kill the body, only and can do nothing beyond that, and how can it be fitting that he himself showed now that he himself should now be very much afraid of these same persons, especially since even his body could suffer nothing from them except what he himself allowed. I have to say, um, Thomas More is correct when he focuses on this part where he says. I'm no longer surprised at his capacity for these emotions, but i can cannot help being surprised at his desire to experience them and it's it's true I mean when you think about it as God, our Lord did not need to experience these emotions, human emotions that were so constantly boggled down with um these constant very abstract internal things that we go through fear doubt um our minds even the even the ability let's say to control our imagination to control our thoughts he had all these things he in order to be human he had to have these things i mean you're sitting down somewhere, let's say at a bus station or you're maybe at an airport and, you know, sometimes you look around and you see a child and you're amazed that once as a child, you know, how little children, you see them playing with their imagination. The, the kid may have a toy of a Superman And he's flying the Superman around and he's making up a story in his mind. We all did as kids, playing with our toys, making up imaginary friends, making up an imaginary scene. He had them. And then also growing up, we also went through puberty where... You know, I mean, every one of us, we've gone through this where we see someone attractive um, and we imagine some kind of sexual fantasy, a romantic fantasy in our mind. Everybody goes through this riding on the train or bus or you're at a restaurant somewhere and you're a man or a woman and you see an attractive opposite and you're mesmerized by the person's beauty. And we have fantasies. Sometimes these things may stay in our mind a lot longer than they should, but also at the same time, there's also spite, anger, fear, hurt. Someone betrayed you. Someone said something to you that hurt your feelings or embarrassed you. And you carry a grudge. You know, you play an incident in your mind over and over again between you and a relative. These things he, these things Jesus understood. He may not have, one of the things about it, his emotions and feelings were perfect. Unlike ours, where it's rattled and held down and polluted by original sin, by the fall of Adam and Eve. So he had perfect emotions. He had perfect. His emotions were pure. His feelings were pure, his anger, whatever, what you could say is pure. The what what, he, what happened, let's say the day he came through into the temple where he had to turn the money changes over his anger and, and rage, what you could say was pure. It was not rattled with sin. It wasn't polluted by it. Let's just use that term. We, our emotions are polluted. Our imagination is polluted by original sin. Christ himself was not. And I know sometimes a lot of us, we, if we really look at it, if we really, really grasp it, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, God the eternal word who took on human nature. And by taking on human nature, he took on a human personality. He took on a human mind. He took on a human soul. He took on a human intellect where once he did not, he did not have that. He is God, both divine and human. He had two natures. The other day, um, I've been also uh, listening to this book called um, When the Church Was Young uh, by Marcelino Ambrosio. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correct. And he goes over church history with the church fathers. And one of the things that has polluted the church and still is with us to this day is Arianism. And Arianism basically focuses only on the, divini- the, I'm sorry, the humanity of Christ and not the divinity. It basically rejected the divinity of Christ. And in many cases, this is what's happening in the church today. We have a neo-Arianism where, like I said, we, uh, our church leaders embrace human weakness, embrace it, and are trying to sanctify it where this is this is one of the reasons why our our liturgy and our priests and our our church leaders very much have a very bad knowledge of church of theology of doctrine of dogma and they refuse to um they refuse to to in a sense uh understand the perfect uh the two perfect theology of a true orthodox theology of such as the two natures of christ that's why many of our that's why some of the movies there were some movies very bad movies in the past where you have a very weak jesus being betrayed a very um imperfect christ being betrayed because it's hard for us to understand the perfection of Christ, that him being Adam, the human, the human part of him, the human, the human part was not, was not on all in any way sin. There was no sin in him. It says so in the gospels, I have no sin in me. He said it himself in order for him to be this perfect sacrifice. He had to be with no sin. And this is something many Catholics today, many, uh, especially Catholics who really, you know, don't understand who, who, who want the church to accept homosexuality, to accept divorced and remarried people, or to accept people living in sin, or to try to sanctify sinful behavior. um, Really can't comprehend it. It's very difficult for them that, you know, they look at homosexuality and they wonder, why can't it be accepted? They don't understand. It's not possible. That's why they wrestle. That's why they, they have a hard time with the church. It's difficult for them to comprehend it. It's just not possible. They don't understand sin, they have no concept of it. So they find themselves always at odds with church teaching. The Holy Spirit will never allow it, but let us also give thanks for the fact that we have a savior who understands, understands those members of his body who, who fight against sin, who wrestle and try to, to remain pure and holy. He sympathizes because he understands us. It's beautiful when you think about it, when you really embrace it. The fact that we have a savior, a God who we can't say, you know, how some people get very angry with God and they say, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. He does understand what you're going through. He does comprehend it. You just have to learn how to trust and give in to grace. We all do. We all have to understand that we need grace. We need his grace for our imperfect nature, St. Augustine, um, St. Augustine believed in human free will, but he also believed that our will is impaired, is impaired. It's, it's, it's wounded. We need grace in order to make better choices. So our will can be strong enough. We need the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Augustine was called the um the Doctor of Grace. Well, anyway, um this is one part we're gonna we need we need to really meditate on how how amazing it is that God decided to take on a human nature and with human emotions. I I think it's almost impossible to grasp it, but it is it's something we can appreciate. We need to appreciate more. We need to, to really appreciate Jesus Christ more for doing this. You know, he sanctified our humanity in him, in him. And I think it's beautiful. So I'm going to end it here and hopefully we'll continue again. I'm going to try to do another podcast for this week. Um, Let's end it with a prayer, please. In the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit.